0: Please be seated, and as you're seated, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. As we've been going through Matthew's gospel lately, we've spent the, set, the last several weeks in Matthew 22 seeing the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, all sorts of others uh, coming to Jesus and questioning Him and interrogating Him and trying to trip Him up, and here in chapter 23, He turns the canons around and aims His fire at them and questions them In return and calls into question their obedience and so this morning we are looking at Matthew chapter 23 uh, verses 1 through 28 I won't be reading all of that to begin with but most of it so follow along if you like hear now the word of the Lord then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher And you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Skipping down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate. The outside also may be clean. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. What a cheery passage to start our day. This uh, this passage is known as the seven woes because that line is repeated again and again. Woe to you, hypocrites! Now, there's a as a disclaimer, you should know that there's there's a lot of detail in here, a lot of cultural detail, a lot of things that that if we looked at each and every part of it in detail, we'd, we'd be here till Tuesday, and uh, and we're not going to do that. You can have hope that the uh, the first service finished on time, and by God's grace, so shall we. Uh, but the important thing that we want to see in all of this detail is a warning against hypocrisy. And Jesus, in 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 speaking against the Pharisees in this way, he is he is calling upon his own followers and his disciples to guard against this hypocrisy in themselves. The word "hypocrite" in the original Greek language this was written. The word "hypocrite" is an interesting word. It means to. It's someone who speaks from under a mask, like an actor or actress who, who wears a mask that covers their face so they seem one way, but the person under the mask is different. So in verse 2, he says, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, meaning that it is their job to teach the law of Moses, the law of scriptures. And so in verse 3, he says, and, and because they're in that position, you, you need to do and observe everything they tell you. you know, they're speaking the word of God, but don't do the works, don't observe the works they do. Or they preach, but they do not practice. That's that's what's going on there. They preach, but they don't practice. That's a hypocrite. They they say one thing, they speak these words, but their their self, their true self, is a different person under the mask. There's other times in Scripture where Jesus warns uh, against the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, "Don't, don't even listen to what they teach. That's not his point here. He says, yeah, sure, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Because in verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with their fingers. It's this picture of of a a people who create these laws and these systems that, that everyone must abide by. And they put that heavy burden on your shoulders. If you truly, truly really want to follow God, you've got to do all these things and you lay that heavy burden on them and then do nothing to help them. How unlike Jesus who in Matthew 11 says this of himself, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, carrying that heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Not the heavy burdens that he forces others to bear, but an easy yoke, a light burden that he bears with us. So in this warning, Against hypocrisy, Jesus shows that that even though these teachers are thought to be holy, even though they are thought to be mature and godly people in their own community, they are not pleasing to God for all their religious activity. They are not pleasing to God. And if we are not careful, we too can find ourselves thinking that we are following Jesus, thinking we are mature, thinking we are doing many good, righteous, holy, godly things, but yet acting like a hypocrite. So as we look at this, we want to not only look for the warning signs of being a hypocrite, but we also need to look even more deeply at the gospel, because only through the gospel can we follow Jesus truly, without hypocrisy. And instead of woe, we receive blessing. So the first warning here, the first way that we guard against hypocrisy that Jesus gives us is to to not be motivated by the wrong things. In verse 5, he summarizes that the scribes and Pharisees do all their deeds to be seen by others. And then he gives some detail. He says, they they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So my question for you today, brothers and sisters, how are your phylacteries and fringes doing? (laughs) Does that that cut you to the heart? Probably not. But uh, this is one of those details I want to share a little bit with you about. A phylactery would be, uh, in in the culture of Jesus' day, um, in obedience to the law of God that said you must put God's word on your forehead and and on your your hands and have God's word with you at all times, instead of understanding that to mean to have God's word always on your mind and in your actions, they understood that to mean, let us write scripture on pieces of paper and put them in little boxes called phylacteries and let us put those in headbands on our forehead and let us put those in, in boxes on our wrists and the bigger your phylactery, everybody knew You had more scripture. You were more concerned about being obedient. You were a more holy person. And the fringes, the fringes, we look at Numbers 15. It explains the fringes. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels or fringes on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. And to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So the Lord had commanded his people to, when they made their garments, to have these fringes, these tassels hanging down. And every time they looked at the fringe or the tassel, what were they to be reminded of? God's commands. What they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to obey. It'd be like back in my day, when I was younger, we we would have the, uh, the WWJD bracelet. Okay, who, who had one of those? Okay, what would Jesus do, right? That's what it said. And so it would be there to remind you that there's a way you're supposed to live. And so if you're, you're at school and you, you hear some kids teasing another kid and you think it's funny and you want to kind of get in on that and you, you want to start making jokes as well, and then you look at your WWJD bracelet and you remember, no, that, that's not right. What would Jesus do in this situation? He would, he would help and protect. He wouldn't tease and so it was meant to remind you, and I'm not saying it was a bad thing. It's a good thing. If it reminded you of the Lord's commands, that's what the tassel, the fringe was for. It was you, every time you looked at your sleeve or the corner of your pants or whatever, you were reminded that there was a duty, an obligation on you to obey the Lord's commands. But now why would you then make your tassel really long? Why would you have the phylactery really broad? Is it because you couldn't see it? No. Because you wanted to make sure that other people knew that you were more serious. You were were more holy. You were more righteous. It's like not just having the WWJD bracelet. You've got the armband and the the sweatband, if this was the 80s. You've got the big shirt. This isn't for your sake anymore. This isn't to remind you. This is so everybody around you sees and knows, hey, look at me. Hey, look at how good I am. Look at how holy I am. Look at how serious I am. That's what's going on with these phylacteries and, and fringes. Now, we don't have phylacteries and fringes today. But what, what are some things we might do to get attention so that other people know how holy we are? Now, I want to be clear. phylacteries, the fringes, those were good things. Numbers 15 commanded the tassels to be worn. But we can take good things and do them inappropriately out of a bad heart. I mean, how many of you have ever, some of you are into social media, how many have ever taken a picture just before you read the Bible? You know, you get got the Bible in the picture and maybe your coffee mug and your muffin and you're like, you know, hashtag quiet time, spending the morning with the Lord. <laughs> um, okay, why are you doing that? You know, if nobody takes a picture, did the quiet time even happen? Uh, you. Sometimes your heart is pure, but sometimes you just want to show off. You just want people to know. Or, or, or um, you're sitting down at a restaurant with some friends, and even maybe some Christian friends, and the food comes, and your, your, your so-called Christian friends just start eating their food. But you, no, you're different, better. Jesus, I thank you for this food. And pray that you'd bless it to our bodies. Okay, praying over your food's not a bad thing. I'm not making fun of that. But when you're so loud that the whole restaurant hears, and you're doing it to make a point to the people around you, I did this and you did it. Where's your heart? What's going on inside, okay? Or maybe you see a brother or sister doing something wrong. And you loudly, publicly correct them for what they're doing. Should you correct someone in sin? Absolutely. Should you do it in a way that points out that they're bad and you're good? No. What's going on in your heart when that happens? You want other people to see and to know how good you are. We, brothers and sisters, we can be in danger of the same kind of hypocrisy, of doing things to be seen and noticed by others. That's why in verses 6 and 7 here, he says, Look, they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. And greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others and having their books on the bestseller rack in the bookstore and having their sermons get a lot of hits on Facebook and having their picture in the front of the brochure for the Christian festival. We we can be just like the world in the way that we try to get attention and be noticed. We've just picked holier things as the reason we want to be noticed. And so Jesus warns his disciples against Caring about things like names and titles and status in verse 8 through 10. He says, You, my disciples, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man father on earth, for you have one father who's in heaven. And neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. We have to be careful not to apply this in the wrong way and understand this wrongly. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong of us to teach one another, he's not saying it's wrong for people in the church to have any sort of authority. Because he, in fact, has commanded and called people to be teachers. And he has commanded and called for his church to have officers who, who provide leadership for the church. What he's saying is that those things do not create some sort of class or ranking system. Whereby we compare ourselves to one another. And, oh, this man, this person is my mentor, so, so he, is, he's, uh, he is more holy than me. He is more righteous than me. He's better than me. And I, I'm, I'm in charge of you. I am your teacher, and therefore I am better than you. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. I'm teaching you all right now, but the fact that I'm teaching you does not make me in any way better than you. The authority of an elder in a church, the authority of a Bible study leader, the authority of a community group leader, the authority of a mentor, that authority is not in them as a person. Whatever authority they have to teach and to lead comes from the word of God that they bring to you. The authority is God's word, not theirs. So he's not saying don't call your biological father father because only God is your father. He's not saying ignore anybody that's trying to teach you. No, he's saying don't place any person in your life in a position or role that is reserved for God. And don't think that you can take God's position in anyone's life and cause someone to look to you the way that they should look only to God. Living as a follower of Jesus is not meant to make us better than others. Even those who are mature in the faith and experienced and learned, those who have that maturity, at times the temptation, and I know some of you feel it too, is I, I have been around a long time. I, I have served God faithfully. I, I, I know God's word. I, I should walk in this room and be respected by others. I should be honored by other people when they see me in this church. Jesus says, no, it's it's the opposite, in fact. Verse 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. If you think you are something special, in, in, in the economy of grace, that should lead you to service. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This follows the pattern Jesus gave In Philippians chapter 2, we see that though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped at, something he had to cling to and and demand others recognize in him. Instead, he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. He said that he came to not be served by other people, but to serve others. That's the motivation that we should have. But the hypocrite, the hypocrite does many of the same things As a holy, humble, godly person. But they're doing it for the wrong motivation, for the wrong reason. Their their heart is to be praised. Their heart is to be noticed. Their heart is to be recognized as being better than others. And the gospel instead looks to Jesus and sees Jesus motivated not by praise but by love. Secure in his standing before the Father. When we are secure in God's love, brothers and sisters as the gospel tells us that we are, when we are secure in his love, then we don't need the praise of other people. We don't need recognition from other people. We don't need the approval of other people. We don't need for our deeds to be noticed or our obedience to be known. And so we guard against hypocrisy first in this way, by examining your motivation, but dig deeper. Dig down deep to the root of that motivation, that motivation to be praised. Why do we want to be praised? Why do we want to be noticed? Why do we want the approval of other people? What is the desire of our heart that is at the root of all that? It is is a fear. It is an insecurity. It is a neediness in our hearts that is only satisfied in Christ. The love of Christ cuts at the root of the desire that leads to that hypocrisy. The the love of Christ reminds you that you only need the praise and approval of the Father who has already richly blessed you in Christ, even glorifies you in Christ. And so the opinions and the approvals and the praises of men and women add nothing to the riches that God has already given you. Would you guard against hypocrisy, brothers and sisters? Then know you're standing before God in Christ. You are secure. You are loved. You are accepted. You are glorified. And There's nothing anyone can do to add to that or take away from it. So check your motivation. In verse 13, Jesus gives a warning against another symptom of hypocrisy. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. I, I would group this in with some other verses that follow it, some of the other woes, in the category of missing the point. The first problem was being motivated by the wrong things. The next one is missing the point, the purpose of God's law, the purpose of all of Scripture and all of God's commandments. Do you remember we saw last week? In Matthew 22, verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What were the two commandments? That we are to love God and we are to love others. And on doing those things, we keep the entire law of God because that's the purpose. That's the reason the law was given. God wants you to love Him and to love other people. And to help you know how to do that, He has given you His word, He's given you His law to show you how it's done. But we missed the point. What do we mistakenly think is the point of Scripture? What's it all about? Is the Bible trying to lead us to a well-ordered society? Is it trying to create a system of morality and good behavior for us to live by? Is the purpose of the Bible to create sober and somber religious worship? If that's all there was to it, if that's what the Bible was all about, I I don't know that I would want much to do with it. The whole point of the Bible, the reason all of this is given, is to teach us to love God. And love others. And Jesus, we saw last week, he says, those two are related. The second command, to love others, is like the first command, to love God. But these hypocrites and the danger of hypocrisy is that instead of leading people into the kingdom of God, into that beautiful picture of loving him and by loving one another... They're instead shutting people out. Instead of standing at the door of salvation and saying like the words of Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat, be satisfied, be richly blessed. That's the invitation of the gospel. But instead, these people are standing guard against the door to the kingdom and holding up their hand in rejection and saying, no, this is not for you. You're not good enough yet. There's more you need to do. They pursued rules and rituals instead of the kingdom. They'd missed the point entirely. How easy is it for us to focus on, to become zealous over religious things, the wrong things? To miss the point. Paul says this in Romans 10 about sincere people who, who, who were passionate about God, but going, approaching Him in the wrong way. He said, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal for God, but going about it the wrong way. In their zeal, they even convert others and end up converting them to the same error. In verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land, to make a single proselyte that's a convert, somebody who follows you. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. You're just perpetuating the same error. How do you know when you've missed the point? What's the, the warning that you've missed the point? Well, there's this whole section that follows, and I'm not going to go into detail on it, but this whole section about the swearing an oath, and the gold, and the temple, and the altar that, that, uh, in the next verses, it, it's, it's about that. It's about getting so engrossed in certain details. And then when you get all caught up in those details, and when you're so sure that everybody else needs to follow those same details, you have to start making little rules and exceptions. And, 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 and what you know, in, in Ptolemaic astronomy, they called epicycles. You know, the planets weren't going in the cycles they were supposed to go in. So let's add another little cycle in there that, that accounts for the error. And you're making all these little exceptions and details to try to make sense of the, the little rules that you're following. And, and Jesus in verse 24 says, you are, you are straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You know, you are, you are, it's like you're pouring you know, your, your water or your something through a, a terry cloth or through a sieve. And you're trying to get like the tiniest little impurities out. And when it gets to the end, you somehow let a camel get through. Okay, it's, it's hyperbole. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen that way. But he says, that's what you're doing. You're getting so focused on these little, little, little things and missing the whole point of it all. The real danger here is that details can consume us. And we get so caught up in those details that they deceive us and they give us the impression that we're obeying. And we think we're doing the right things because, oh, I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm dressing modestly. I'm not swearing. I'm not drinking. So I must be following Jesus well. But we've failed to notice that we speak harshly with the people we care about. We are, we are gossiping. We are lusting after possessions. We are so many other things. We are, we're missing the camels. But, but because we're catching those little gnats, we think we're doing fine. It's like if, uh, you know, if you picture basketball, somebody trying to play basketball, and I actually knew somebody like this uh, when I lived overseas, and, and he'd, he'd watched so many basketball videos that he could do, he could dribble, he could do like these, all these tricks while he was dribbling, and spin the ball up on his finger, and roll it around his back, he could do like full Harlem Globetrotter type stuff out there, uh, and so, so when we're picking teams for basketball, yeah, I want that guy on my team. Because look at how good he does dribbling that ball between his legs and all the fancy footwork and then he never takes a shot. It's pointless. Literally. Like, 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 the, like you don't want that guy on your team because he's not doing the whole purpose of the game. But, oh man, he gets those details. But he's not doing what you're supposed to do. You know, we're worried. Oh, let's, you know, swearing on the gold of the altar or this, that, or the other. All these little details, but we're missing the main thing God has called us to do. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You know, they're tithing spices. which I, You'll hear me make fun of that passage now and again. You know, they're tithing out of their spice rack well, come to find, it's a little more serious than that. I mean, they were so concerned about obedience that after buying spices in the store, they, uh, they realized, you know, the person who sold me these spices may not have tithed out of their crop that they harvested these from. So just to be safe, I'm going to do the tithe so that, so that it's not cursed. You know, it, it's like the equivalent of you, you go to Publix, you open up your cinnamon that you buy, you weigh it out, bring 10% of it in, and just kind of drop it in the offering plate here. We're, please don't do that. But there, there's a, a diligence to that. An admirable desire to make sure there's no risk that I've been unfaithful to God. And we can, we can rejoice in that. We can praise God for that. But if, if we are so zeroed in on those few little things that we miss... All the good things God desires for us. We've missed the point. What is it that God wants us to do? Micah, we've already heard from Micah this morning in our assurance of pardon a little earlier. We see in Micah 6.8, He's told you what is good. He's told you what does the Lord require of you to do justice, to love mercy, kindness, to walk humbly with your God. That's the big picture. But we can get caught up in little details. So another warning sign of hypocrisy. A way to guard against it is make sure that you're not missing the point. When, when, what is your idea of how to serve God? Where's your focus? Where's your priorities? Are you trying to ensure that you and everyone around you is looking and acting and obeying in a specific way that you think is right? Right? Is success or obedience to God measured by anything other than love for neighbor? Do you, do you look down on other Christians whose doctrine is a little different from yours? Do you look down on Christians whose worship doesn't look or sound like what you're comfortable with and what you think is right? Do you look down on Christians whose political views and social views don't line up exactly with yours? Do you look down on those whose convictions and whose conscience have arrived at different ways of obeying God than yours? Is uniformity more important than unity? I'm not saying that none, of the, that none of those things matter. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying, are they the most important thing? Jesus doesn't say to ignore the spices and just focus on justice. In verse 23, He says it's not an either or. He says, these, justice, mercy, faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The problem is we we, we start obeying in one area and we think it's enough. And then we miss all that we're called to do. So be careful not to be so diligent in doing some good things that you miss the main good thing that God desires of you. And the good news of the Gospel, brothers and sisters, and the way this applies to my heart and to yours, is that you don't need to do these things, to be saved by God. And neither does anyone else. And so we don't need to get our eyes so laser focused on how well my neighbor is behaving and what my expectations are of, of what they're doing on the Sabbath or what they're, what's in their fridge or, or what kind of language they use or any of these things. I don't need to be so focused on my brother or my sister because the Gospel is not that they are saved by those things. The Gospel is we are saved by Jesus Christ. The gospel is that we are saved by Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, track with me here. We're called to guard against hypocrisy. We're called to check our motivation. We're called not to miss the point. And lastly, we're called to, we're warned against masking our sin. This last group of warnings, two passages about something clean on the outside and decaying on the inside. Verse 25 and 26: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the outside of the cup and the plate that the outside first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. You know, I have a dishwasher that has a tendency, there's a certain type of bowl that we have. And when you have a certain type of food in that certain type of bowl, for some reason our dishwasher just chooses not to clean the inside of it. You know, it, it it's gross. And, and if you're not paying attention, you'll, you'll unload the dishwasher and you'll take out these bowls and just stack them all up and put them away without noticing that one of those bowls has all this encrusted crud on the inside. And you won't notice until you're taking bowls down and, and it's, you know, it's 6 o'clock in the morning and you pour yourself a, a bowl of Lucky Charms and you know, pour in the milk and you start eating and then realize, what is all this black gunk in my milk? The inside is filthy. The outside looked clean. That's what Jesus is warning about here. There's a type of religious obedience that tries to clean the outside and thinks that as long as I look like I'm obeying God, then everything is all right. And it neglects the deeper matters of the heart. What does that mean? Well, for example, someone might be very careful about their words. You know, there, there's a whole list of words that I know I'm not supposed to say. We all know those words, okay? That's a given. But then there's another group of words. They're kind of you know, gray area words. They sound like these words. And so just to be safe, I'm not going to say those words. And then there's phrases that just are not appropriate for us to say, like good luck. Well, we, we don't believe in luck. Because we believe God is in control, right? So I'm not going to say good luck. And and, and whenever I talk about my plans for tomorrow, I'm going to say Lord willing. Because James 4 tells me that that whenever we talk about the future, we should also say, if the Lord wills, then I will do this. And and we can get very, very careful cleaning the outside appearance of our language and make sure that, that we're saying the right words and avoiding the bad words and never realizing that we're using totally clean language to tear down someone else or to speak in envy. Or to communicate bitterness. Is that pleasing to God? It is not. Then Jesus takes it a step further. Verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So here we're not just talking about clean versus dirty. We're talking about alive versus dead. God does not measure obedience, holiness, righteousness by the way things appear on the outside. In 1 Samuel 16, He says, The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, the whitewashed tomb, the clean outside of the bowl, but the Lord looks on the heart. He sees what's inside. There is a deadly tendency among Christians to try to cover ourselves in a new coat of paint in order to hide what's going on. We want to appear happy and holy. We praise God loudly and convincingly in worship. We smile. We speak nicely in the lobby when we see others. We quote the Bible. We even pray with fervor. But what's below the surface? God is not fooled, even if we are fooled. God is not. More than that, God doesn't want the phoniness. He doesn't want the whitewash, the clean outside, any more than you would want a car with a brand new paint job and an engine that doesn't work. It makes about as much sense to be a Christian who lives with a clean, attractive, happy looking outside and a decaying inside. Jesus did not live a perfect life and die so that we could put on a show for each other. God is not seeking to be entertained by you and how you live. Jesus died so that His people would find forgiveness for their sin. And in doing so, they'd be transformed from the heart. What God promised to do in Christ is not give us a new moral code. What God promised to do in Christ is not to just give us an example or to give us some inspiration of how we could live. In Christ, He gives us a new heart. He makes us a new creation. And a hypocrite fears this, avoids this, and the solution is to hide in our sin. Or hide and cover up our sin. God would not have you hide what's wrong with you. I want you to hear that because I really mean that as an elder in this church. God does not want you to hide what's going on inside. Because what you hide cannot be dealt with. What you hide cannot be healed. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning if we if we have things in the open we have fellowship with one another then true fellowship is possible and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin if we say we have no sin if we whitewash the tomb if we clean the outside of the bowl we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins if we bring what's inside into the light he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness brothers and sisters if you if you don't believe you have a need to confess then you are in danger one of the reasons we confess in our worship almost every week. So that you and I and all of us will be reminded that there's something on the inside that needs to be encountered by the grace of God. So don't fear bringing your sin into the light. Because as you do, it will receive the healing of the light. But what is it? What is it that keeps us from doing that? Why do we not do that? Why in our conversations with each other do we not let our beloved brothers and sisters know and see what's going on. Why do we hide it from ourselves? Why do we try to hide it from God? It's fear. It's a fear of judgment. It's a fear of losing our reputation. It's a fear of being rejected by God and by others. And here's where you need the Gospel again. The Gospel removes that fear. Whatever sin you're ashamed of, whatever addiction you're trying to hide, Whatever embarrassing thing you don't want to admit and own up to. God knew it long before you ever admitted it. Not only that, Jesus knew it and took it to the cross and died for it. Don't cover up and paint over your brokenness, your addiction, your sin. Bring it to the light. Let it be healed. To avoid this is to turn away from the Gospel itself and from all the goodness that God desires for you. It has been said that Jesus, in His ministry, reserved His harshest words and almost all of His words of judgment for hypocrites. Towards the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, those who were, who were unclean and unloving and, and unrespectable. He, he showed mercy, grace, compassion, healing, tenderness. But to the hypocrites, He brought judgment. I wish that we had more of the same of that attitude. We and, and I don't mean we in this church only. I mean in my entire experience as a Christian, what I've seen in my lifetime is that we as Christians, we are quick to judge the sexually immoral. We are quick to judge the atheistic and the doubters. We are quick to judge the crude and the dishonest. And the drunk, but hypocrisy is a deeper, more deadly issue than all of those, because the hypocrite, more often than not, the hypocrite sincerely believes they're doing the right thing, and they have no need of repentance. So, Sisters and brothers, I, I urge you on the Word of God to guard yourself against hypocrisy by checking your motivation and allowing the Gospel to remove all those desires that send you chasing after the approval of other people and that make you so fearful and worried about what others think of you. Guard against hypocrisy by making sure you're not missing the point instead of being so, so caught up in the details, the, the little minutia of how you might be able to obey God and judging others and looking at others and, 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 and assessing them based on how well they follow these rules. Look to the Gospel that you are not and they are not saved by these things. You are saved. By the grace of God and then sent out to minister that love and grace to others. And lastly, guard against hypocrisy by not masking your sin. Confess it and allow God to change you because the gospel is that it is already covered. Again and again, I've said it this morning and I want this to be the last note in your ears as you think about this passage. Because this is a heavy passage. These are hard words. This is a lot of judgment and woe and condemnation. But I want the voice in your ears to be speaking the Gospel this morning. I want you to to know that the Gospel reminds you that you don't need to judge. You don't need to compete. You don't need to pretend. But you rejoice instead in the grace of God to you. He who knew no sin became sin for you in order that you might become righteous he gives you his righteousness when you've not only been forgiven and see a lot of you struggle with this you see that you're forgiven but you don't believe you're righteous in God's sight you are not just forgiven you are made perfect in the eyes of God and that takes away forever the need to pretend the need to to look better the need to hide the need to be something other than you're not it takes away the need to be a hypocrite and so as we're going to sing in a minute, don't look to your sin. Don't look to others who are, ju- who are judging you. You look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Mercy flows through Him alone. That is the Gospel. That is the only remedy for hypocrisy. Let's thank God that the Gospel comes to us freely in Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that though we are easily tempted and easily swayed to try to be something we are not. You have already accepted all that we are. And not just accepted it, You have promised to redeem and transform it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I pray that all the fears and all the hunger for praise and affirmation in all the judgmental spirit and all these things that might move us in the path of hypocrisy. I pray they would be washed away by the truth of your gospel, which is not made true by our believing. It is true in spite of our unbelief. Therein lies our hope. We thank you in the name of Jesus.